welcome to Cross Defense. Have, is it enough just to believe in Jesus? Don't, don't we just have to believe in Jesus and everything else will work itself out? Why do all the little questions about doctrine, do they even matter? You've heard these questions. Perhaps you've thought them yourself. We're going to talk about it today on Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition where we recover the joy of theology. We're setting our imaginations on fire with the clear word of God. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I've taken the baton from Pastor Fisk, going to carry it for a little while, and drive home with you, talking about God's Word and the Scriptures that are set in front of us, as well as our Lutheran doctrine. We're using uh, Dr. Francis Pieper, this great, great old theologian, who points us to the Scriptures to answer all of these questions. And we're going to take this one up. What about the inconsequential doctrines? What about the non fundamental do- the doctrines not connected to matters of forgiveness of sins faith and salvation what do we do with those to help me out i've got uh, on the line here pastor sean Linnell. pastor Linnell, welcome to the program well hey thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be on with you I look forward to our discussion today yeah thank you can you uh, tell me a little bit of uh, your church the name where it is and what's going on over there Yes, we're Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska, about 30 minutes north of of, uh, Omaha. Um, We have uh, been here for about uh, 125 years, uh, and I have um, actually more than that, probably about 130 now. And uh, I've been here for the last last five of that. And um, we are, uh, uh, again, a congregation that's just there in uh, in eastern Nebraska and part of the Fremont Circuit, and we're... um, uh, a congregation that is um, um, a little bit, I think, younger than the um, the average age of the uh, of the LCMS, and it's um, it's really fun to see uh, some uh, some younger people start to discover and embrace uh, a confessional sort of Orthodox Lutheranism, and not that you know they they weren't before but there's there's so much to learn and to grow into and to be a part of that is really quite a blessing isn't there's this uh, a common misconception that is that the young people don't like uh doctrine uh the young people want you know just whatever works or fun stuff and you this i think over and over proves itself not to be true uh that especially the the young people uh in the church Oh, they want to know that there's substance there in uh, in what's in behind the preaching. They they can spot uh, falsehood. I mean, easy. They just see it and uh, they can sniff it out. It's an instinct for them. Uh, they want to know that there's substance and that there's doctrine. True, you've seen that. Yeah, well, and you know, when I talk about younger people, I mean, it, it depends on your your generation for I guess what that means to you. When I say when I say younger, because if you're if you're retired, people in their forties are probably pretty young. And um, you know, if you're if you're in you know college, then you probably think I'm talking about you. And it's it's not that I'm I'm not, but uh, but generally uh, the people that I'm talking about are people that are in their uh, 30s, maybe maybe early 40s, and in their 20s. And it's it's a thing where um, and if you know if you're listening, you know, please don't think that I'm I'm talking about everybody in in a particular age bracket. You know, they're they're always individuals. I'm just talking about kind of general trends. And then my experience with the people here um, is that um, uh, they they want to be treated like adults because we're adults now. You know, and so please stop telling me that. You know, uh, if I if I just come right out and tell you what things are, that that's that that's unfriendly, or that you know people are going to 
you know, to walk away from that. I'm, I'm an adult and I can handle disagreement and I can handle tough things. And I would really appreciate it if, you know, you just were up front with me because, you know, for example, um, we've been working on a, a, a public sort of communion statement. And it was interesting just sort of the difference of, of opinions or the difference in, in feeling where people from one generation were much more concerned with being, um, uh, with phrasing uh, things in a in a friendly way, and then actually the the youngest sort of demographic in that conversation were much more concerned with directness, because they said if I have to read two paragraphs to get to where you say if you're not an LCMS member please don't come in today I'm really gonna feel like um, I don't know I was condescended to why couldn't you just come out and tell me that Yeah, just say yeah. it. Well, let's just say it now. We're how many? In fact, I we want to dig right into this question that we're talking about. Uh, and I, the way I'm framing it, do you think you got to let me know if you think this is fair? I hear this question all the time. People say, "Isn't just, isn't it enough just to believe in Jesus?" All the other <laughs> questions of theology, you know, um, the minor questions, uh, even I mean, even major questions, questions about baptism or the Lord's Supper or salvation, or the the atonement. And then, and then some more what we would call non-fundamental doctrines, doctrines of, uh, of the end times, of the Antichrist, doctrines of the angels. And then, and then uh, the historical questions of the Bible, uh, people say, don't, you know, those things don't matter. Just the thing that matters is you believe in Jesus. That's, and because that's what saves, that's the thing that saves you, all the other doctrines we can kind of toss aside. So, so do you think that's a fair way to, to kind of set up the question for what we're going to talk about, what Peeper is going to talk about today in the text. Does it suit you all right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, when I was, you know, first looking at this, um, I sort of, I think, had uh, a different idea of how he was organizing things. He's much more conservative uh, as far as uh, which doctrines fit into which categories. So many more things for Peeper uh, fit into... You know, fundamental doctrines than you would think, you know, and uh, and so so little actually fits into this last question. I mean, and and really, when we when we get to some of the I think proper examples for this last category of open questions and theological problems, like like it's pretty obvious. I think that some of these things, I mean, maybe they're things that are important. Sort of, you know, there's there's some sort of emotional attachment to you, but like in the end, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I get, I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but they're not things that you you know that sometimes people try to do. Like you were saying, you know, well, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we disagree. You know, so long as we all love Jesus, and you know, I mean, isn't that enough? And people will go, no. And he will, why not, Peeper? And then you, he says, because the Bible says so. Uh, you know, I mean, you believe in God, so do the demons. Good for you, but they tremble. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Now there's this really interesting. I mean, I, I kind of want to go there first. There's this really interesting footnote in this section of Peeper. Where, by the way, if you have Francis Peeper, we're in Volume 1, page 91, 92, 93 today. If you don't, it's great. You could visit the cph.org website and pick it up. It'll it'll cost you, but it's worth it. I mean, it is worth its weight in gold, uh, this dogmatics text. And it's so nice to have it because, I mean, there's a couple of great things about having the text. One of them is... That it it just it engenders so much confidence in the doctrine because when you're sitting there trying to figure out is this true or is it, and it, and people will come out and it'll speak with such clarity from the scriptures he'll say here's what the Bible says about this so it's really quite nice but there's this very interesting footnote 
that I thought was the most uh, intriguing part in the in the whole section, where he talks about Cardinal Bellarmine, the the old Catholic guy who looked like he was angry. <laughs> Beller, I don't the the paintings I've seen of Robert Bellarmine always look like he's tired, and I think maybe he was. He was the great opponent of Johann Gerhardt, and uh, apparently that both of those guys had painting. If I'm remembering the history right, and when one would get tired, they would look at that painting and Bellarmine would say, Gerhard's still working, and Gerhard would say, Bellarmine's still working, so they just worked themselves to death <laughs> trying to argue against each other. But it, but, but Peter's going to say that Bellarmine, the Catholic theologian, taught a grave error, error when he said, Catholics extend the object of justifying faith as far as the Word of God extends. Now, I think that is an amazing, first of all, that's an amazing sort of statement to think about. And I think I would have just come at it sort of unaware if I would have read it on a fortune cookie that we extend the object of justifying faith as far as the Word of God extends. I think I would have agreed with it at first. Uh, so it took me a little while to kind of process to figure out what that's wrong. So what? So help me out with that controversy a little bit, if you could, uh, to get me on the same page with Peeper here to understand what, what he's worried about. And, and I think this is going to be why this distinction between the fundamental doctrines and the non-fundamental doctrines is, is going to be so important. So uh, do, you, do you see the note I'm looking at? Uh, remind me of the page here. Yeah, I'm on page 92, but, and it's footnote 130. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. So let's. Uh, would you be kind enough? Um, I'm looking at it here. Would you read it for our uh, our yeah, listeners says, so that we can the have it? Catholic doctrine extends the object of justifying faith as far as the Word of God extends. So I think what Bellarmine is saying is he's saying that everything that the Bible says is the object of justifying faith. In other words, if faith is going to, I mean, what, what Bellarmine means by justifying faith, I'm not exactly sure, but he's basically saying to be justified, we have to extend, we have to say yes and believe to everything that the Bible says. We don't get to pick and choose what the Bible says. We, have, we are okay. agreeing to all of it. And Peeper says, no, 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 no. He goes too far. And when he does that, he, in fact, is making faith into a work. Now I I'm, I need a way to simplify that so that because it seems like we're really in the weeds here, uh, so that those who are driving home uh, can follow along with us and etc. Um, but I think this is a really interesting debate that uh, that Peeper's bringing up with Bellarmine there. Yeah. So um, the, the the key phrase uh, that he talks about and the thing that that makes us really uncomfortable, I think, uh, in our discussion because it's so easy to screw up, is um, is he says. Uh, uh, justifying or, or saving faith, right? And um, and so, um, what what is it that you believe that saves, right? Um, and and what Peeper is going to say is that the 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 object of faith that that is uh, itself salvific, right? That that receives grace is that it's faith that's receiving the, the the grace, the gospel. And so, you know, for us, we would say, right, you're, you're saved by grace through faith, right? So mm -hmm. um, God's, uh, Jesus's uh, work, his justification is objective, right? So if, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. if, uh, if we're looking at the, the sacrament, yeah, um, the, the sacrament is the body and blood of Jesus, because he said so. And when you receive 
the, the, the bread and the wine with your mouth, you also receive the body and blood of Jesus. This is regardless of faith. However, it's, uh, and, and so that's the objective part of it. However, the, the subjective side is that the benefit is only received by, by faith, right? So without faith, then uh, you don't receive that benefit. And so properly speaking, saving faith is the one that clings to that benefit. And there is faith that, um, that trusts, for example, will say, um, uh, and please forgive me if I screw this up because it, it is a little bit nuanced, but um, uh, does God the Father provide for all that we need to support this body and life? And you go, well, yes, he does. And then you go, yeah, if I trust in that, is that salvific? And you go, well, well, no, it's not. That's a first article gift, not a second article gift, right? The, the faith that receives grace is faith that trusts in the gospel and in grace alone. And so what, what Cardinal Bellamy here is saying is that the, uh, the object of justifying faith, uh, as far as, as the Word of God extends, he's going to say that in order to have faith that saves, um, that everything, it, it clings to everything, Everything in in the Word of God is is faith that that saves. Man, that's really phrased poorly by me, and I apologize. Well, I think I'm I got it. Let me, let me all, see if I? I can. Yeah, let me see if I can bounce it back. So, so the <laughs> Lord says. So let's just take a, a, a different Word of God and say the Lord says that um, uh, that King David became king when he was uh, or uh, uh, let's see, Saul's son uh, Ishbosheth becomes king when he's 40 years old. And I believe that because the Bible says it. But by believing mm-hmm. that, I'm not it doesn't justify me. It doesn't forgive my sins. Now the Bible says that um f- uh, for example, uh David uh went and lived with the Philistines and he was fighting um he was he told them he was fighting against Israel, told the Philistines, but he wasn't. He was fighting against the Amalekites. Now I believe that's true history. But my sins are not forgiven by believing that. My sins are are forgiven when I believe a very specific thing, when I believe that the Son of God became a man in my flesh to die on the cross for me, and he brings me that promise of forgiveness. So when Bellarmine says, he says that justifying faith embraces everything in the Bible, he's making now faith itself into a work instead of letting faith rest in the object of, of faith, saving faith rest in the object of saving faith, namely in the gospel, the promise of the forgiveness of sins. How's that sound? Right. Yeah, and, and so since we're putting it in terms of work, then let's also put it in terms of law and gospel, because that's, that's originally sort of the way that Pieper starts talking about this back in the beginning of the section in um, uh, page 76 and 77, right? So uh, if, you, um, if you believe what the law says, good. But the law is not what the Holy Spirit uses to create faith. The gospel is, right? And saving faith for that matter. So you believe all of the Ten Commandments, right? Yes, of course we do. Well, so do the Jews. Not, and when I say Jews, I mean Pharisees, right? So do the Pharisees. Not helpful in that regard. And so again, especially in in a Romanist sense, um, if you have faith in all that the law says, great. But the law doesn't help you. And so whether it's the history or whether it's the law or whether it's those things, the, 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 what the Holy Spirit uses 
to create faith, saving faith in you is the gospel, because the gospel is that to which saving faith clings. Okay, so now that we got David condemns. So we got that sorted. So that there is a distinction between the doctrine that forgives sins and the doctrine that does not forgive sins. There's going to be doctrines that don't forgive sins. And so then the question is going to come up, well, what do we do with those doctrines that don't forgive sins? Is it so important for us to cling to them, for us to trust in them, for us to believe them, or can we just let them go? Do we have to, do we have to hold on to those, or, do we, or is it enough to say, oh, yeah, that's not important? And I think that is the question that we want to start to wrestle with then. If we, if we can make this distinction between the things that we believe for the forgiveness of sins, then that's great. We, we know that, and we know that, for example, the doctrine of the angels. We believe in the angels, but that doesn't, doesn't save us. So then what is the importance of that? So Peeper's going to lead us into that, and we are going to take up that question after this break. Thanks for sticking with us for the first part. Uh, we're going to come back after this break, and we're going to take up the question, what about the things that don't connect to our salvation? Questions about the Antichrist, questions about the angels. Are they, are they important? Why? Why not? And what do we think about them? I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Seven taking the baton here on cross defense for Pastor Jonathan Fisk. I'm joined by Pastor Scott Linnell of Trinity Lutheran Church in in Blair, Nebraska. We're driving home with you on this worldwide KFUO. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft. Here at the Secretary of State's office, we take the integrity of our elections seriously. Missourians agreed and passed Constitutional Amendment 6. Missouri's new photo ID law is now in effect. Have questions about the new voter ID law or need to register to vote? We're here to help. Visit showittovote.com or call 866-868-3245. Remember, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. Sponsored by the Missouri Secretary of State's office. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back. Cross Defense here. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. 
on your drive home, KFUO Radio. I'm Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and I'm joined by Pastor Sean Linnell of Trinity Lutheran Church of Blair, Nebraska. We're talking about does it, does all the little stuff really, does all the little doctrine really matter? Does the does the little stuff can can we just agree to disagree? Pastor Linnell, I hear that all the time. Can't you just agree to disagree? What's going on with that sentiment? Well, I, I think um, that part of the sentiment uh, comes from a, a very um, deep concern for our neighbor and our and our loved ones. And uh, when you have people that that you love that are important to you in your life, um, and you disagree um, on on some of these fundamentals, then you're left with the question: um, Are they still saved? And I'm not saying that that they are, they aren't, or you know, like that's not what I'm trying to get at. But but that concern is is a, a really serious one, and uh, the way that is easiest perhaps for us to deal with that in our sinful nature um, is to say, um, well, I I know that I know that they love Jesus, so that's fine. Everything else is too complicated. It it makes me worried and it makes me hurt. So I'm just going to say. You know, you, you trust in Jesus, and I'm not going to explain what that means. And I know that they trust in Jesus because they say they do, and so everything's okay. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. It's like conversational triage. It's like, uh, that, that, hey, we got we to gotta take care of this, first of all. You know, if you got a line of hurting people and one person's got a, ho- a cold and another person has like an alligator eating their leg, uh, you're going to go and, uh, you know, worry about the person with an alligator. And so to get... To get the faith in Christ, the, you know, some sort of faith in God and faith in Christ to sort that out first, I suppose, is the thing that we're uh, that we want to look at. But but these other doctrines, I mean, they're important. They're important for a number of reasons. One of them is that uh, Francis Pieper says, "Hey, uh, there's Scripture, and you can't start ignoring parts of the Bible, the parts that you don't like, the parts that you don't want, the parts that uh, you'd rather have something different. You can't just ignore that." Uh, because all Scripture is God-breathed, including the non-fundamental articles. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching. That's what Paul writes to Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, so that, I right. think, is the first thing that we want to emphasize, is that, you know, if we, as soon as we start ignoring parts of the Bible, we're we're saying, hey, God, we, we really like this part of what you said, but this other part, we're not big fans. You know, we want something different. Right. And so, um, again, to, to clarify, and I um, apologize for maybe not being as clear in the previous segment, the way that, uh, that Pieper um, uh, breaks up doctrines, right, is uh, a fundamental and non-fundamental. And fundamental doctrines are those that concern saving faith, which means uh, fundamental doctrines are those that have as their object um, uh, grace, uh, the gospel, the means of grace, how we receive those things. So um, uh, fundamental doctrines do include, then, uh, word and sacrament, um, all of those things. Fundamental doctrines get broken down into two categories, primary and secondary. The primary fundamental doctrines are those things that you need before you say the secondary ones. So, for example, primary fundamental doctrine, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Secondary fundamental doctrine would be something like baptism. In baptism, I am bound to 
uh, and laid into death with Christ, that also just as he has been raised from the dead, uh, I too will be bound up in a resurrection like his. You, you have to have the, resur- uh, the death and resurrection before you can understand what baptism means. Uh, primary and secondary are not categories of importance. They're, they're categories that um, arguably could change depending on what doctrines you're, you're talking about. They're comparative categories. So, um, you know, is one thing, uh, do you need to know that before you can say the other thing? Um, but all of those about saving faith. Non-fundamental doctrines are not unimportant doctrines. Non-fundamental doctrines are those things which don't directly deal with the gospel. And so we've been talking about um, things like, you know, the, the Ten Commandments or, or something, um, you know, six days in creation, uh, you know, the literal 24 hours. But those things are important, and they are directly related to, uh, to your salvation. They're just not your salvation. So, for example, if you reject the law, which is a non-fundamental doctrine, then there's nothing for the gospel to, to be about, right? If you reject that creation is in six 24-hour days and you believe that it happens over millions of years and that evolution is real, then you believe that God created death and that man owes his existence to millions of years' worth of death and that death comes into the world through God's creation and not through man's sin. So what exactly is Jesus saving us from in the resurrection? You, you have these incredibly destructive uh, holes in your faith if you reject non-fundamental doctrines. That doesn't mean that they're not important. It just means that if you screw this up um, as an error, unwittingly, you could still be saved. You, you probably are but you can't reject them willingly because it creates an inconsistency in your faith that doesn't allow for the fundamental doctrines to, you know, to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. We talked about it, uh, I think last week we talked about this, like a, uh, like false doctrine being like a cancer. It doesn't, it doesn't kill you right away. Uh, it sometimes takes a long time, but it will eventually. And the doctrine is the same way. The Lord has not given us the option of, holding to false doctrine on in, on anything. And so no matter what, no matter what, it's dangerous. I mean, no matter what, it's going to hurt and make you sick. It might not immediately kill you, uh, but it uh, but it eventually will. So so say someone has a, a, a bad doctrine about, I don't know, we, we had a couple of, like the eternal fall of the angels, the immortality of man before the, before the fall, the Antichrist. There's a couple of others. Um, uh, the qu- question about the unforgiven sin, um, and some of the other things that tra- traditionally fall under the category of non-fundamental doctrines. Well, you can't. I mean, you it, that just because they're called non-fundamental doctrines doesn't mean you just go believe whatever you want. It's still going to be dangerous. It'd be like saying, you see someone with cancer and like, oh look, they're still alive and you know they're still working and living and and loving their neighbor. So well, that looks fine. I can go have cancer too. No, 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 no. It's dangerous, and it, even though it doesn't manifest itself right away, it's striking uh, uh, it's against uh, the healthy doctrine that Jesus wants to give to us in the Word. It's, uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put you—the false doctrine anywhere is going to put you in grave danger. Yeah, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit works on us over time. I mean, all of us have, you know, had errors, and, you know, the, the maturing in faith or knowledge of God's Word grows— um, but but there should still be growth. So, you know, I, I run um, a what do we believe class, sort of in lieu of a of a new members class, because I, I 
everybody's invited, you know, let's, let's come and, and learn this again. And one of the things that I, you know, that I say is, hey, we're allowed to disagree. We're, we're allowed to argue with God. What we're not allowed to do is look at God and say, uh, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that's No. Like, you're not allowed to look at God and, and say no when his word says this. But you're allowed to argue with him. You're allowed to say, I don't like it. You're allowed to say, I don't understand. You're allowed to say, I wish it was different. You're allowed to make mistakes. So long as we're growing and we're engaging with, with God's word. And when I say that, I'm, I'm really talking about these non-fundamental doctrines, right? Because those non-fundamental doctrines are going to be the places where, um, where you know, those holes are filled in and we grow over the course of our, of our whole life, and, and that's a maturing in faith. The fundamental doctrines, um, if you're missing those, you don't have faith. You just don't. I'm going to throw some uh, some wisdom from Peeper into this. Um, he says, the denial of non-fundamental doctrines endangers faith. It involves the denial of the divine authority of Scripture. One who knows that the doctrine, for example, concerning the angels and their works is taught by Scripture and still refuses to believe in angels is certainly rejecting the authority of Scripture. And where Scripture has lost its authority, the source of Christian knowledge is stopped up and there's nothing left for faith to build on so that so that people considers like the um what the the uh, uh once you know that the bible teaches something if you refuse to believe that it's like getting theological constipation <laughs> you get or, or a theological clogged toilet it stops up the pipes through which the holy spirit is working to deliver wisdom to us that is the scripture uh, so, uh, it, thoughts on on that? I mean, it's it's a great picture. I mean, it, it's kind of an ugly picture, but it's a great way to help understand it. I think what people talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. You know, the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll compare that to our, you know, our bowel movements. But I, you know, in a certain sense, that's kind of, you know, what he's doing when you know you uh, say that through daily contrition and repentance, the old Adam, the old sinner in us is you know, is daily drowned and dies, we just, you know, he's kind of a floater and he keeps coming back. And so the Holy Spirit's constantly at work. And, and this is one of the places where the old Adam, the sinful nature, the world, the devil, uh, tries to undermine uh, everything, is in what we think are non-fundamental doctrines. And, um, you know, putting those questions there um, and and making us feel like it's okay to reject God's Word in this place. And then it's you know, it's just those little those little things where you say, well, I mean, it's okay to reject God's word here. I mean, I'm still saved, so maybe over here, maybe over there, and then you're just, you know, you're you're cutting out all your underpinnings. Yeah, it's you know, the devil works like this all the time. Um, so he he works below the threshold of pain of the conscience. I think all of us have a kind of a, a degree to which our mm-hmm. conscience has been hardened. And if the devil is working, so so let's say I'm a brawler, you know, I like to go out and get in fights, and it doesn't bother me, it doesn't trouble my conscience. But if I was to kill someone, that would bother me. If I, if I punch someone in the face, and not so much. So the devil's going to come along, and he's not going to tempt me to to go out and and kill someone, but he's he is going to tempt me to go out and fight and use that to hurt someone. And when he tempts me below the kind of threshold of the hardening of the conscience. I don't really notice it. And and this sort of thing can happen then theologically. The devil's not going to tempt us to to doubt that God that Jesus is God or that God exists or that Jesus died for my sins. No, he's going to attempt us to, to cause us to doubt the small things, you know. Uh the 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 historical stuff. Uh the the the, uh, the peeper's going to bring up the archaeological stuff, the geographical stuff. He's going to come with these small little questions. 
uh, to cause us to question there. And what happens is it starts to harden our conscience towards the Scripture, and that just that grows. If God didn't tell the truth here, then maybe he wasn't telling the truth there. And if he didn't tell the truth there, then maybe he wasn't telling the truth there. If, I, if he wasn't telling the truth about how many people came out of Egypt, then how can I know that uh, he was telling the truth when he talked about how they uh, came back from the exile? And if he can't tell the truth about that, then how do I know about this in, in Jerusalem and the Pharisees? And, they did the, and then eventually it's going to get to Jesus and his death on the cross. And this doubt is going to, like a cancer, is going to kind of grow and expand. Yeah. You're right, and you know, and oftentimes we're, the reason that it's it's comfortable to us is because we don't understand why uh, God's word says this thing in a particular place. We think that you know this is superfluous knowledge, and it, it doesn't necessarily um, reflect or, or or reveal anything about our relationship to Him, um, and and that's due to you know our ignorance or our sinful nature not being able to see it. You know, sometimes we'll we'll hear things. You know, when, when we're, maybe when I'm teaching the kids and you, you get people that say, well, is all of this really necessary? I mean, I don't, I don't really care if, you know, they're, they're all theologians. And, and then I said, well, the, I mean, I don't necessarily say that to the person directly. They said, it's probably because you don't know what a theologian is. Um, you know, all of those things reflect on our relationship with Jesus and what he's done for us and what it, what it means to be. Uh, you know, his people, what it means for him to be our God. And just because you can't see it in a particular moment doesn't mean that it's unimportant. Um, you go ahead and you take a look at what the devil did in the beginning. The, the question was, you know, did, did God really say, don't eat the tree? Uh, you know, that's not saving faith, right? Non-fundamental doctrine, um, but hardly unimportant, Right. And what does the devil use that? Uh, because he starts off talking about the tree, and then he goes, oh, yeah, you know, the tree. And he says, no, 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 you'll be, you'll be like him. Well, being like God, especially in the beginning, when you don't have the rest of, you know, Scripture, you don't have the rest of history, like for them, that God created them in his image and likeness arguably would have been a, a fundamental doctrine. And so very quickly the devil uh, changes and shifts the conversation from those non-fundamental to fundamental doctrines because, like you said, when when he is allowed to put the doubt in your head or your heart or your faith that, you know, God wasn't telling the truth here, or God's Word wasn't telling the truth here, well, then what else could God be lying about? The old theologians would talk about how the devil exercises us in sin, so that, you see this with kids, you know, that the, the, the first temptation to lie is not about something that matters, but about something that doesn't matter, and, you're, and so you're exercising your ability to lie, and you get better and better at it until you finally are lying about something that's particularly important. And the, the devil's going to exercise us in doubt. He's going to get us to practice doubting the things that don't matter so that we get good at it, so that we can at last doubt the things that do matter. Uh, here's how uh, Peter's going to quote this old theologian Beyer in his compendium says, We must be at the same time on our guard, lest by embracing and teaching error, we rashly sin against the divine revelation and against God himself. So that by embracing error, teaching error, we're sinning against God because he's the one that's given us the scriptures, given us the doctrine, given us the teaching, giving us, giving us his word, which he's not said doubt or reject or decide which part you like, but he said read it and trust it, believe in it. Yeah. Well, I'm going uh, oh, to come Sorry. around <laughs> in this conversation to the historical, geographical, and archaeological parts of Scripture. 
Uh, this has to do, we, we've mentioned a couple times, does it matter if we believe in the six-day creation? Does it matter if we believe in the chronology of the Old Testament? Does it matter if we believe in the geography that the Scriptures have put before us? Uh, this is a, these are great questions because, again, this is the, one of the places where the devil will begin to exercise our doubt and start to sow confusion. We're going to do that after we take a break. We've got to take a quick break here, uh, Pastor Linnell. Uh, let the people tell us who supports the show and all that sort of stuff. And so if you're listening, stick with us. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pope Luther Church in Aurora, Colorado, joined by Pastor Sean Linnell, Trinity Lutheran Church in in Blair, Nebraska. We're on cross defense. We are tearing down the the words that exalt themselves against the Word of God and putting in their place the law and the gospel which shine forth in their clarity and uh, in their confidence and in their comfort. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This week on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah. Well, Andy's on vacation this week, so I'm in charge. We'll have exciting guest hosts in studio each day, and we'll learn how to ask your pastor about counseling, what the deal is with all of these Facebook groups, and how Lutheran education helped shape a current NBA player's career track. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. In the early 1800s, the horrific conditions and brutality of the English prison system was taken for granted, conditions ignored. Elizabeth Fry was determined to do something about it. She was a Quaker, passionate about reading the Bible for herself and making the Bible accessible to those in need. The daughter of a prominent banking family and the wife of a successful tea dealer, she used her influence to visit female prisoners in London's Newgate Prison, discovering appalling conditions for women and their children. She set up classes to give women job skills, rallied others to provide clothing, and at the center of her plan, leading the women in studying the Bible. Until her death at age 65, Elizabeth Fry worked tirelessly for prison reform, fundamentally changing how women prisoners were viewed and treated. Engage with the Bible in its impact on injustice over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I've got a website, which is wolfmuller.co, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.co. You can visit there and see what's going on. I just wrote an article about the five things to do at the deathbed of a loved one. I uh, learned that from experience uh, just a couple weeks ago. So uh, you can check that out, uh, print it out. You can uh, keep a copy handy for when you might need it. We're talking about uh, the small doctrines with Pastor Sean Linnell about the stuff that is not directly related to the forgiveness of sins, but is God's Word, what do we do with that? How do we treat it? And especially questions of historical, 
geographic or archaeological questions or similar statements in Scripture. Uh, I'll read a little bit of Peeper. While they are not the object of faith, insofar as faith obtains forgiveness of sins through believing them, they cannot be denied without endangering saving faith. If a man will not believe Scripture in the minor matters, such as its historical and geographical statements, how shall he, in the terrors of conscience, believe Scripture in the great things, which tell the incarnation and the satisfaction, vicarious satisfaction of the Son of God, which are counter to every religious conception of natural man? In other words, if we can't believe the Bible in the small stuff, then how can we believe it in the big stuff? I mean, if we doubt the 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 six days of creation how are we going to deny how are we going to believe in the incarnation and the resurrection these things are all bound up to each other so pastor Linnell, take us into this question about the small things especially the historical and the geographical things in the bible i've often i've often here i'll set it up for you a little bit better i've also heard this question hey the bible is not a science book that bible's not a history book the, the Bible is not a geography book, so all the science and history and, and, and whatever of the Bible doesn't really matter that much. What, what say you? Um, I, I say that the Bible is not a history book, but it is a, a historical book. Um, and before I, I go too much further with that, um, what I, I'd, I'd like to make a, a brief correction to something that I had, I had said earlier, because I'm sure that there are listeners out there um, who were upset with me uh, probably about five minutes ago. Um, so, Luther's. Uh, this is one of the footnotes to uh, something that that people wrote on page ninety. He said, um, uh, Luther. Luther said, "You cannot say, uh, I'm going to err after the manner of a Christian, because a Christian errs unwittingly. I unwittingly erred when I said that, um, say, like you know, believing in the Ten Commandments would be you know, a non-fundamental doctrine. So the, the, the law of God is still part of those fundamental uh, and primary doctrines because they, they do deal very directly with uh, saving faith and what you're being saved from. And then when I had said that, um, you know, rejecting fundamental doctrines means you don't have faith, rejecting fundamental primary doctrines are, means you don't have faith and you're not saved. But people would say that uh, a Christian who uh, rejects, say, uh, the, the physical presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, not because they're rejecting God's Word, but because they they reject, say, uh, the communication of attributes or, or deny something like that, uh, would still be capable of saving faith because they are, they are rejecting, say, a primary fundamental doctrine uh, due to an inconsistency, not because they, they actually reject the saving faith. And so Peeper is... Um, very conservative in the things that he places into the higher categories, but he's also very gracious in where he draws that line for what what constitutes saving faith. I just wanted to make that that correction for any of the listeners out there, and especially those people that I know were going to send me emails. Well, let's keep um, let's let's push a little bit on that uh, too, because it seems like one of the great difficulties is um, as we talk about doctrine, what we're talking about is. Oh, knowledge. It's talking about be, being able to to know something and to say that and to agree with something and say this is true. Uh, and yeah. and yet saving yeah, but faith it's not is just knowledge, right? It's right. it's revealed knowledge about God and who He is. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and those are the things. So when you're if you're rejecting knowledge, especially revealed knowledge about who God is, you're you're rejecting Him. Right, right, and and that's what and and that's what the, when the where faith comes in, because faith is going to look at the at the simple word of God, 
or even the complex word. It's just going to look at the Word of God and say, yeah, yeah, I believe that what God said. And what that and what God said about me and my sin and Christ and my my salvation, I believe that and I'm saved. And what God said about everything else, about history and all this other stuff, I believe that because God said it. And so so faith is the is the posture of the mind which receives uh with joy the things that God says about himself, about me, about the world, about whatever. I'm just gonna I'm gonna believe that. And this is how faith is not a work. I mean, the, the danger that that people was getting after in the Bellarmine quote in the very beginning is that if we make some sort of like uh, intellectual acceptance of the of the theology, the the thing that saves us, then we're we're turning faith itself into a, a work, albeit a work of the mind. Uh, and now it's not by grace that we're saved, but by but by works, by this kind of strange new work of of theological rigor that we've created for ourselves. And, and we want to avoid that altogether. Right. And that's, you know, again, why I would say that he is um, really gracious on where he draws the line on, you know, screwing up what things, uh, you know, cause you to, to lose salvation. Because we're going to screw up just about everything at, at any given point in time. And it's not really screwing something up that that puts you in the dangerous position it's knowing what the truth is especially when it you know is directly about christ and then and then rejecting that you know christians we we err unwittingly and when we err um those things don't destroy in a, in a sense your salvation because your salvation like peeper says right isn't dependent upon faith as if your faith was your work and some, you know, intellectual, you know, uh, uh, acquiescence. Um, and so, so that's where you get. But right. even though that may make a lot of us really uncomfortable to say, because it, it sounds like you're just opening the door to, to, well, those things don't matter. That's really the whole point of what, he, what he's doing now when he says, oh, no, it matters. It really does, in the same way that, you know, you might not die from drinking poison, but that doesn't mean it's a great idea. You might not die today from, you know, your example, by, you know, leaving a, a cancer or an illness untreated, but, you, it's, you know, your life is at, is at risk, and it, it very easily could take that away. And then so, you know, you brought up the, the archaeological, historical, geographical things, the, the Bible and this is one of these these great things that I think so many people miss is that the the Bible is not a book of ideas. It's not a book of philosophies. It's not a it's not a book of of morals, right? It's it's a, a it it's not a history textbook, but it is a historical book that talks about a real God that did real things that have real effects and not just for the past, but for us now and for the future. And so in a certain sense the Bible doesn't need you to believe it in order to be true. Faith receives the benefit for the things that Christ has done, but those things are true whether you believe them or not. And the historical things of the Bible, if you prove them to be untrue, then everything else falls apart. The primary example of uh, a historical event um, would be the resurrection of Jesus. That's not actually a faith claim. It's, it's a historical claim. It either happened or it didn't. You don't receive the benefit without faith, but it is historically uh, approvable in a sense, or at least disprovable. Um, for the Pharisees at the time, 
the easiest way to completely wipe out Christianity would have been to go and get the body of Jesus and wheel it through the streets and say, see, lying, right? If Jesus doesn't actually do that in history, we don't have a faith. There's nothing yeah, po- to have that faith held on. And that's the primary example, but all of the other things that God does in history, those are things that are real. And if you, if you cut those out, what exactly is your faith holding on to? Because the Bible is about those things. Right. You know? Yep. I, I think, and I, I know you said the Bible is a history book. I think, if it's, I think you're right about that. But, but this, I want to say this, that if it is anything, if it is any genre, it would be a historical book. I mean, it, it would be a history book. It's, it presents itself to us as an account of things that happened and not as myth or as fable or as uh, moral lesson for sure. Not as a theology textbook or not as a book of meditations. It, it gives itself to us as a true history. And, and there's a couple of really, I mean, wonderful things. You pointed out what, what Paul says about the resurrection. If Christ is not raised, then we are of all men most to be pitied. Because because everything because then you're still in your sins, Paul says. I mean, it, it, the the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus is what matters. And and can you imagine? I mean, we have this in the creed that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Under this, I mean, that's a historical fact. This right. guy Pontius, who was the, you know, the governor of of Judea in this time period, or or we even even this thing. I think it's that the Bible is one of the only. I don't know of another holy book that has maps in the back. I mean, can you imagine it? <laughs> we have maps that we've put in the back of the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is telling us all the time, this is where this stuff happened. This is, right. this is so the location it. of it. You can right. go and, and see and it now. And that's, like, um, not all of the gospel writers were uh, apostles, but the evangelists were eyewitnesses to things. That's why Luke begins his gospel with, hey, I wasn't there, but I got all of this from people who were there, so you can go and ask them just to make sure that I'm telling the truth. That's why certain details are in the Bible. Like, you'll be reading through things, and you'll be like, oh, that's sort of a weird deal. Why do they include that? Well, there's two reasons, and the very first one is because it happened. You know, those things are real, and the Bible offers historical evidence as, as a, a, a support for the, the claims, the fantastical claims that it's making. So if the Bible is offering those things up as proof to you, and you are casting off that proof, then why would you accept the things for which the proof is offered? Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. And um, it, was, it was actually really kind of, kind of great. Um, uh, speaking about the historical and the geographical and, you know, the archaeological, did you ever get to watch the uh, debate between Bill Nye and uh, Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis? No, I need to. I, I just saw portions of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. It was great, and Bill Nye is so incredibly frustrating for me because um, he misses the point a lot. But so they weren't actually debating one another. Like like Bill Nye got on, and basically it was just the, the entire thing was a pitch for increased science funding in schools, right? Which is great. I mean, okay, cool. And Ken Ham, like his whole thing, talking right past Bill Nye, was was actually just to uh, use it as an opportunity to state the gospel like 15 times as clearly as he could. And Ken Ham and I, Answers in Genesis, you know, we're probably going to disagree on a lot of things, but it was really beautiful. And one of the things that, that he presented, because Bill Nye was saying, hey, look, there's a lot of Christians 
that disagree um, about six-day creation. And Ken Ham's strongest argument, because he wouldn't just come right out and say that they're not Christian, which I, I don't know if I'd want to say either, but that's an unchristian position. And he stated it clearly, why not? Because the whole thing is this journey from death to life. Death is the enemy. And if you, if you accept the uh, standard mainline evolution billions of years, then death is not the enemy. It's part of the system God set up. And part of the reason, again, that this is so easy, I think, for uh, American Christians to accept is because we've given up, I don't want to say we haven't, but, but a lot of people uh, forget about the resurrection, right? I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. No, you're not. Your soul's going to go to heaven and be with Jesus until Jesus returns and creates a new heaven and a new earth and brings your soul with you and creates a new body and Jesus lives with us in the new earth. And if you want to call that heaven, Great. I think there's a better word for it, but great. But you're not going to live as a spirit out in the ether forever. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. But if, you, if that's your hope and that's where you stop, then what difference does it make? What difference does it make what happened to this world or what will happen with this world or what God, you know, none of those things matter because I'm going to go off and live as a spirit forever. You, you're a Gnostic at that point. You're not a Christian. You know, and, and those are errors that we make unwittingly, so perhaps some of those comments are too harsh. You know, you're not being a Christian, but those are unchristian beliefs, and they, they undercut the very essence of what God, what Christ has done. Why would Jesus take upon himself our flesh and continue to be in a fleshly body, right, if we aren't going to live in a fleshly body forever? Yeah, and so the the consistency of those things is really important, and and it's hard sometimes to figure out where the line is between those fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines because they are so closely related. And when you reject the historical, archaeological, geographical evidence, you the, you're knocking away every buffer and proof from undercutting those fundamental things. And I would much rather have endless arguments with with my brothers and sisters in christ about open-ended questions then have very troubling disagreements about non-fundamental or god forbid fundamental doctrines this is fantastic you've opened up so many things and now uh, uh, just when i'm uh, stephanie's sending me the note that it's time to start shutting it down can you believe oh. but this <laughs> this is an amazing i mean it's a great point is that so so Jesus is so we will be raised on the last day we'll be in our bodies that means that God is concerned with creation i mean we'll be we our graves will be just as empty as Jesus grave and that's what our eternity looks like the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells so the so the fact of the resurrection both the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of my body means that God is concerned with creation which which has to do with a concern for history which has to do with a concern for reality all of these things are embraced in the scriptures when it tells us that that uh, Joab took his army over this hill to find this other hill. This is bound up to the resurrection of Jesus because God is not a Gnostic. It's weird. It's weird that there's a Christian Gnosticism that looks for eternity in the spirit, and there's a creation. There's there's a uh, uh, there's a, a Gnosticism with evolution also. Even though they're so materialistic, they're so materialistic that they become Gnostic to say that when you die, you're done. It it, it means it's the destruction of the you altogether. But God is concerned about body uh, and soul. He's concerned about the little things. And in the little things in the Scripture, 
we see his great love and concern for us. I'm, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I've been joined by Pastor Sean Linnell of Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, thanks so much for being on the show this afternoon. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks, dear listener, for tuning in and for sticking with us as we answer. Do, do the little things matter? The answer is yes, because Jesus is concerned about the little things. He's concerned about the little things in history, the little things in geography, the little words, the jots and the tittles in the scriptures. He's concerned about the little things in your life, the little sins, the big sins. He died for all of them so that he could be your savior and your friend and live with you forever in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So rejoice in the little things. And join us again next week as we keep tearing down the devil's words and building up God's word in its place. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.